So I want to talk a little bit about um, the practice period, which is starting today. Um, and a few people are signed up, and it's not too late to sign up if you're if you're interested. Not too late to join. Um, I think, in a way, whether you join formally, which involves um, Thursday night classes for the five or four remaining Thursdays in March, um, whether you do that or not, you can still um, just consider yourself part of practice period, which is a time of um, really having a little more focus in our practice together and knowing that we're doing it as a community. So lots of religious traditions do that. Like we're in Lent for people who practice in, in some forms of Christianity. There's that time of, you know, setting aside to really more deeply attend to a spiritual practice. So that's what we do during practice periods twice a year. Um, and this practice period, um, what we'll be focusing on is um, the uh, really doing like a deep dive into what it is that we're doing in this practice. And that's in terms of our, our bodies in practice, sitting meditation, walking meditation. We'll be playing with the various Zen instruments. We'll be exploring using our voice, um, enchanting or speaking. Um, we'll also look at uh, the giving and receiving with our bodies that happens in Oriyoki and in many forms in our practice. Um, maybe we'll do a tea ceremony on the last Thursday of, of March, if I can pull it off. And if you know anyone who does tea ceremony and might be willing to come and help us, otherwise we can do it, but it won't be as fancy, but that's okay. Um, Also, um, I just want to say, so it's not too late to sign up. If you want to register, you can do it um, on our website. Um, and I, for people who are participating, the in-person is going to be, a, well, it's, I think it's always better, but it's going to be a, you know, a lot better this time since we're doing stuff like playing with the instruments and, you know, and like looking at objects and working with our bodies. So the working with our bodies part, anyone can do even on Zoom, but some of the other things will have a Zoom option as always, but it'll be a little bit harder. And we'll also uh, record the sessions. I'm going to try to also do a video recording um, as well and post those not on our regular Dharma Talks page, but probably I'll put it on the Passive Practice page on our website. So maybe we'll put a link to that in the Sangha News. Because it's, it's fun when we can kind of all do something together at the same time. Um, so it, it really, I think, helps with the way we can help each other. Um, so that's a plug for that. So today, I'm gonna, I'd like to talk about um, giving, that giving and receiving that I mentioned. So we'll talk about it in practice period. That's probably going to be the last night, but I'm going to start also start it talking about it today. Um, and this is also sometimes called the practice of generosity or the perfection of generosity. Dana, you might have heard the word dana, so that just means um, giving or generosity. Um, and so I want to explore and invite us to explore what that feels like in our bodies. So I would invite you to remember a time when you gave something 
that you felt good about giving, like in your body, there was a feeling of joy or um, ease or positive feeling. So, and then, so just kind of call that to mind now, if you can think of, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be even just like giving your spouse a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, could be like that, but just giving something. Um, so think of a time. And then see if you can get in touch with um, the actual sensations in your body. When like before, as you thought about giving, when you were doing the giving, and after. So that's just a little, you know, we, we can explore this a lot more, but this is a little bit of a taste. And then I'd also like us to explore what scarcity and fear feel like. So here, remember a time when you felt a clench, maybe when you were asked to give or you thought about giving something that you sort of didn't want to, um, or, you know, maybe you looked at your bills or your paycheck and you felt afraid. Um, so just think about one, you know, like pick one thing, you know, where there was a kind of fear and scarcity around giving or not giving. And then um, what sensations happened in your body? And if you did end up giving the thing anyway, um, what was happening then in your body? And what did it feel like after? So this is, thank you for participating in that. Um, this is just a little way of getting us to explore what it, you know, what it means for us what, how, and how we can practice with this. So, um, as I said to our Eno this morning, this is a money talk. <laughs> and, um, but I'm hoping to talk about it in a way that's, that's spiritual practice. So, you know, in lots of congregations, and maybe you've had experiences in other places as well, um, the parishioners or the congregation individuals kind of dread this. And um, often it brings up unpleasant feelings in our bodies. If we're coming from an attitude of scarcity, which a lot of us are. Um, so if we're not settled in our bodies, it's very unpleasant. And sometimes in some churches, like as soon as the priest starts, you know, or the minister starts talking like this, people leave. <laughs> you know, if it's a setup where you can kind of leave, you know, more easily without being, you know, so noticed, then people leave. So that that happens, and uh, or or check out, you know, maybe stay, but you know the mind is like checked out. Um, so if we're not settled in our bodies, then talking about money um, is very unpleasant. And I also want to mention that um, if we are settled in our bodies, that doesn't like magically create money. <laughs> So it's not, it's not like that happens. If there's not money, it's not going to be magically created if we're settled. But 
if we're settled, then we can be really clear about what we can or can't give. And whether a gift to this or that place is in align with our values. So it's not only that um, teachers and ministers dread this kind of talk. Also, um, I mean, it's not also the it's not only the parishioners; it's also the, the speakers who dread this. Why? Because it's uncomfortable for a lot of us asking for money, and we're afraid that people will leave, um, or we're afraid of um, maybe. It'll be misconstrued and um, it will be like an abuse of our position, you know, where people will feel pressured because the, you know, here the leader or the teacher, my respected teacher is asking about money. So I feel like I have to give and I, you know, and I'm, I'm in a power down position, so I can't say no. So that is a danger. Um, and, you know, I also, as I thought about giving this talk, I thought, huh, well, I do have a wish that, like, as a result of this talk, people would give, people would give more to clouds and water. Like, as I looked, like, honestly at myself, it's like, yes, that was a wish. But part of that wish, part of the impetus of that wish is coming from my own place of fear. So to recognize that. Um, and if, and also to recognize if I'm not afraid, and if I'm settled in my body, and coming from my better self, then what I really want is not for like automatically people to give or to give more. What I really want is for for you to be settled in your body. Um, and if you do give, that you give from a place of non-fear. And really, when I'm settled in my body, then it's like whether you give more or less or the same, that's not important. Or it's not as important as that your giving is from the heart, and it's from a place of ease and joy, and it's what you want to do. Like, I don't want people to give money to clubs and water and then feel bad afterwards. So have like buyer's remorse <laughs> where, you know, you've, you've put some money out there and then for whatever, whether it's giving or buying something, and then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But sometimes I shouldn't have done that is where the fear and clench comes back. So then you could look at that. But sometimes I shouldn't have done that is like, I, it really wasn't a good idea. <laughs> So this is giving from as a spiritual act, as a looking deeply at settling my body, what's happening, what are my values, and what what can I do about that? So um, kind of in that context, I want to talk a little bit about um, the stories that we might tell ourselves about giving that might not be true or that are not true. And I thought about a workshop, a weekend workshop that I attended at Upaya, um, Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe. And this was, Salt and Water sent me when I was executive director. And it was a 
Buddhist fundraiser, Lynn Twist, I think she's Buddhist. Um, and she wrote a book, well, she wrote a few books, but one of her books was The Soul of Money, Reclaiming the Wealth of Our Inner Resources. And anyway, it was a really great workshop, but one of the things that she talked about in the workshop and she talks about in the book is, um, well, for one thing, how there's a, a mindset of not enough that a lot of us have, and it really leads to suffering. And so I want to share something that she wrote about that, see if this rings true for you. She said, I see it in myself. For me and many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. And whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. So for a lot of us, we spend a lot of time, uh, the hours of the day, hearing, um, explaining, complaining, worried about what we don't have enough of. We don't have enough time, we don't have enough rest, we don't have enough exercise, we don't have enough work. We don't have enough profits. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough wilderness. We don't have enough weekends. Of course, we don't have enough money ever. <laughs> we're not thin enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're fit enough. We're educated, successful, we're rich enough ever. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate. That's the story. We're already losing, we're already lacking. So from that mindset, there's the change. So she talks about the myth of there's not enough becomes the reason that we do work that brings us down. We do things to each other we're not proud of. I thought about how many of us Maybe we weren't like super hoarders at the beginning of the pandemic, but how many of us bought more than we really needed during the shortages? So I heard, you know, I heard from people and in my own family this happened. It's like you go to the store and you need a pound of sugar or you need a, um, you know, the, that jar of Clorox, the, the uh, bottle of Clorox, and there's only one, two left. You only needed one, but you buy two. <laughs> Because there's only two left, so I might not have enough, so I'm going to buy it. No, not really thinking about, if I buy those two of whatever, then somebody else didn't get any. <laughs> but if we're from this place of not enough, clenching, then yeah, we need, we need it. So that, you know, that's recognizing that that's coming from a place of deep fear when that happens. And then she says, all along with not enough, there's a myth of more is better. And that, so that's related. Okay, maybe it would be enough to get just the one bottle, but more is better. <laughs> and then this is, we can really see how this relates to our Buddhist practice, our Zen practice. If we're so focused on getting more, then we don't, we aren't actually stopping to appreciate what we already have. And we can see that not just in the shortages during the pandemic, but in our behavior, like, you know, this accumulation 
tendency, which is comes from a survival instinct. So there's some little piece of it that's good, but it gets out of control. And then it actually doesn't make us happy. Um, so she says the third myth um, about money or resources is um, that's just the way it is. And so that like builds on the first two, like there's not enough, more is better, definitely better. And it's always other people who have more, not us. And then that justifies greed, prejudice, inaction um, that comes from that scarcity mentality. And that, you know, infects our relationship with money and the rest of the human race. And believing that that's just the way it is, is also kind of hopeless and it prevents us from making positive change. So that's why like in the, in the, um, the meditation that we do on the part of working with people who are experiencing difficult circumstances, there's a part of it that is accepting things just as we are, as they are, but that's not hopeless. It's like, even as we work for change. So it's like not hopeless. That's just the way it is. It will never change. But like, that's the way it is now. Settle in my body. Here's what's happening. And now, what can I do? And if it's coming from that, rather than from the clinch, um, then actually positive changes can happen. <clears throat> so I'm you know, think, well, maybe you're feeling clenched in your body right now, <laughs> even just me talking about this. So I'd like to um, also explore what Lynn Twist calls the surprising truth of sufficiency. And I just like to read this short passage about that. This is from a section um, called Sufficiency, Reclaiming the Power of What is There. We each have the choice in any setting to step back and let go of the mindset of scarcity. Once we let go of scarcity, we discover the surprising truth of sufficiency. And I love this. She says, by sufficiency, I don't mean a quantity of anything. Sufficiency isn't two steps up from poverty or one step short of abundance. It isn't a measure of barely enough or more than enough. Sufficiency isn't an amount at all. It's an experience, a context. We generate a declaration, a knowing that there is enough and we are enough. So it's really in, it's an antidote to that. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough of whatever. She says, sufficiency resides inside each of us and we can call it forward. It is a consciousness and attention an intentional choosing of the way we think about our circumstances. In our relationship with money, it is using money in a way that expresses our integrity, using it in a way that expresses value rather that expresses value rather than determines value. Sufficiency is not a message about simplicity or about cutting back and lowering expectations. Sufficiency doesn't mean we shouldn't strive or aspire. Sufficiency is an act of generating, distinguishing, making known to ourselves the power and presence of our existing resources and our inner resources. Sufficiency is a context we bring forth from within that reminds us if we look around us and within ourselves, we will find what we need. 
there is always enough. <clears throat> so I feel like this is um, this culture of sufficiency um, is what clouds and water is moving into as we roll out some various things that we're doing that you've seen recently, like our tiered sliding scale, the gift economics model for classes and retreat fees. And that includes the option to set up your own level. So we're like not saying we need this from you, particularly we're saying, well, here's what we need to run a center and here's the different options. And then please consider what it is that you are able, willing, um, feel inspired to give. Um, and we're also uh, resurrecting a membership model or payment model for membership, which we had kind of let go of. And so that's a way toward equitable resource development is saying, well, you can pay any amount for membership. We have a, an idea of, you know, we have a sort of guideline um, of what that amount could be, but really looking at it yourself. And really seeing these are some practical ways that we activate our statement on non-harming. So you might wonder why, how that is. So non-harming means in this context of money, being honest and upfront with what it costs to run this place and to provide services. We would actually be harming ourselves if we weren't honest about that. Um, and paying our staff and teachers equitably and creating a system where those who don't have the means to pay fees or make large membership donations will nevertheless feel welcome and honored for the gift of their presence. And I want to say kind of one thing about that, in particular with the class fees and the tiered scale. I've heard some people say like, well, I can't afford to go now that, you know, that it's so expensive. And so I'm going to be more, you know, hold back like what I attend because I don't want to take the space of someone else. And it's like, no, we're not in a situation now where you're taking the space of someone else. So if you're only gift to, if you're only gift to a class or like the practice period is to come, you know, if your amount is $5, um, please come because that will be a gift. And that will be a way we go forward. And that's true for almost everything. Some of the things we have, to, like if we go down to Hokioji, then we have rent to pay, but there is less, um, there's less kind of fixed costs for most of the classes. So really, I just want to encourage people to attend. So also non-harming means we don't pressure or guilt anyone into giving. I really don't want to do that and that we create opportunities for people who are able to give more to do so, so that we, we do ask. I think that's part of not harming is that we ask. So our membership model, which you'll see soon, um, uh, some of you have seen already, if you, I think if you um, have a, already a regular monthly gift, but uh, we're saying now, we used to say this, and we're saying it again, uh, to consider giving two to three percent of your growth income each year as a donation to for membership so either annually monthly or quarterly and then to give more or less based on your individual circumstances and aranya has developed a really nice table that 
gives the amounts and then also says here's like circumstances you could consider for yourself in terms of giving um, and I think it'll soon be like on our website and available for everyone. Um, I want to say a little something about that two to three percent, um, which is uh, a, a few years ago, um, I decided for myself and my family to like move in the direction of tithing, which if you're familiar with tithing, it's 10 percent of your income given to charity. And that seems like really like, wow, you know, how can I do that? It's impossible. Um, but I'm moving in that direction. And, um, you know, I look at then I don't necessarily giving to other places besides clouds and water. But if I have that as a 10% or even 5%, um, then there's 2% to clouds and water is not a problem. Um, I also want to mention another kind of fundraising, not exactly a fundraising person, but a money person that I um, have gotten a lot out of is uh, Mary Hunt, who writes a column, Everyday Cheapskate. Some of you might be familiar with that. So some things that she says, I, you know, I don't agree with, but she has a really interesting, she's been, she's, she was in incredible personal debt and got out of it and really got out of it by sort of an attitude of sufficiency and like living within her means. Um, but when she started on the path, that path, it was also a spiritual decision. And what she, one of the things she, she preaches, not a preacher, but a money preacher, is that we start right away with giving 10% to charity. And she says, people will say, well, I have debt and I have bills to pay. How can I do it? And she's like, no, you do that because then it sets the context of I'm not just in this for me. And this is the spiritual work that I'm doing. And so that kind of blew my mind, actually, because I always had the thought, you know, like, well, and also when I didn't make a lot of money, I didn't give big percent, but I knew people who did. And so it's like, that's just so interesting. And it's, I'm not saying you have to do that. I mean, I don't even do that. But it's just interesting that there can be this different mindset around money and giving that can, can help in surprising ways. So also, in addition to the class sliding scale and the membership, you're also going to be starting very soon, I think, you'll get something about Spring Appeal, which is twice a year we do kind of a special ask for some additional money. So a lot of people are going to give for, pay for classes, and there's a number of people who make regular monthly donations, but we found that we, if we don't do like a special ask a couple times a year, then we don't actually so the special ask is for maybe people who aren't giving monthly or people who are giving monthly who then give a little something extra like that. I usually do that for the appeals. Um, and I think also um, it's a time when maybe members, friends, one-time donors, family and friends of members, you know, anyone else can be invited to do that. But really, like all of this stuff is for naught if we don't first address that mindset of scarcity and fear. Um, so if I have some wealth and some money, my fear of not having enough can still be real. That happens. People have lots of money, way more money than anyone in this room has, are afraid also of not having enough. 
So can I, if I, if I have that fear, first of all, well, I'm human, so like recognizing that in ourselves. And then can I work with that? Can I notice my fear? Can I notice that clench in my gut when I'm asked to give or asked to give more and just explore that? What is, what's going on? And it could be, you know, I say, well, I'd like to give more. I can't really afford to yet, and I feel guilty about it. So I'm like, well, explore what, what, what is that? You know, if we think that I'm enough, then we can feel like I can come to that class anyway, even if I'm only giving five dollars or nothing. I can still come because I'm enough, and that's my gift. So that's good. And, but we can also look at, well, is that I don't have enough, is that actually true or is that a story I'm telling myself? I mean, in terms of money. Um, and looking at the choices that we're making about how we spend our money and time and whether those are in alignment with our values. So a lot of this is helpful when we go to like, what am I feeling in my body? <laughs> go back to that. and. If we're feeling a clench, we don't want to feel that. So then it's like, no, I don't want to pay attention to that. I'm going to do something else. But if we pay attention to it, then we have the chance of really seeing deeply what it is and maybe transforming. Or it, it does transform. We don't transform, but it can transform when we pay attention. And I really want to emphasize, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, wanting to try to hypnotize you into giving money to clouds and water. That's not what this is about. If you decide that your values align with giving money somewhere else, great. Or if you give some to clouds and some to others, great. So I really want to uphold the non-harming and not pressure anyone. And you know, I don't want to, people to be stupid about giving. So really look at like what it is, you know, what's, what are your circumstances? You know, sometimes people are afraid to give because um, uh, a few people have mentioned this to me recently, like, well, I'm comfortable giving like things, like I buy, donate food, I donate tea here, I would, you know, buy, if I notice that toilet paper is low, I'd buy some and donate it because then I know where it goes, you know, and it's true. But the other thing that we can look at with that is that sometimes when we're giving money, then it's like, I don't have control of it anymore. If I give toilet paper or tea or food, I have control of what? But if I just give money, then I don't have control. And of course, organizations misuse money. So like this is, this is like a legitimate thing to investigate. If I'm giving money to an organization, do I trust it to spend it well? And, and are they transparent about what they're spending it on? So I want to, oh my gosh, have time for us to have questions, but I want to say just a little thing about what, what the current reality is with clouds and water. So we are currently in this fiscal year, which ends June 30th, we're projecting about a $17,000 shortfall. Um, and also, I think some of you have heard this, that we've had a gift of $50,000 a year for the last three years that has really helped us through the pandemic. 
And that's, that's ending this year. So like next year, like, like projecting forward, we haven't worked on next fiscal year's budget, but if we just like took this year and went forward, then next year we're like $67,000 shortfall. We're, we're not going to have that budget. We'll have a different budget. Um, and our overall budget for clouds and water is about, um, for just clouds and water, not looking at the deep listening for social change, which we're a fiscal agent for, but just the clouds and water part, is about, about 230000 was our budget this year. Um, so we're not, you know, it's not like we have, you know, a big budget. So 17000 is is a kind of a big chunk of our budget. Um, and... The good thing is the board had a retreat last weekend and we said, okay, our goal is to close that gap by June 30th. So it's not impossible. And then we're going to set some other goals around how to then go forward into the next year. We didn't get there yet, but, um, so what I'm hoping is if you do look deeply, look at your values, you settle your body and you feel like, yes, I'd like to give something to clouds that you would, but I want you to give from that place, not from a place of fear. I also want you to consider how you feel in your body right now as you hear me talk about this. So some clenching feelings can arise, some maybe sort of unsettled kind of feelings, maybe some thoughts could be coming up like that's impossible to my small gift can't help or how did this happen that we ended up here. So I want to address those three like, well, it's not impossible. It's a challenge, but it's not impossible. Um, and your gift of whatever size will make a difference. And this happened because reduced income during COVID, um, clouds not being as proactive and asking for money. I think those are the main two things. It's not like we've misspent money. You know, it's gone towards staff salaries and the building and shoveling out the parking lot. And, you know, it's like we look at how we're spending it and not spending it on extravagant things. Um, so I would just invite you to explore for your own self in giving and looking at how can I practice in a way that opens me to sufficiency? And how can I give in a way that aligns with my values? So I'd like you to give from a place of love, not a place of fear. And when you do that, I think we can flourish together and all will be well, no matter what happens, no matter what the future looks like. So we do have, that's, that's all I'll say for now. And there is time for questions or comments. Yes, Kathleen. Well, that was the most skillful talk I've ever heard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On this subject, I, I, one of the, Things I think they all appreciate. I don't know. I appreciate the most about anything about Buddhism is the invitation to look so deeply at our conditioning, and um, this topic is just so conditioned in relative to um, parents who grew up there with families and so forth that went through the depression, 
and who carry that not enough and teach that by um, living, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been aware of it for that, that angst, you know, and how it's, it's floated for me and gotten better because I've been able to support myself. Um, but it's such a deep thing. It's such a deep thing because it's generational, mm -hmm. and um, and and yet it, it it is it just comes right up against our intention of being spiritual activists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thank you so much. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first an appreciation. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and. I just want to say what, what what's bubbling up for me is um, when Shozoku and Kato, who's in the room somewhere, but I can't see you there, and I um, were recently ordained in November with you as our teacher and preceptor, when we received our bowls, our eating and begging bowls, um, the chant talks about just enough, you know, understanding and practicing with just enough. And it really struck me in the ceremony, I actually remember having like tears well up in my eyes and thinking, whoa, there's something there. And just that idea of, of enoughness, you know, and practicing with enoughness, not as, a, as, you know, from the reading, not a, in relationship with what would actually be better or what not enoughness is, but actually just the feeling of sufficiency or the feeling of enoughness. Um, whether that's like, I have sat enough. <laughs> or like hey i actually am can touch the feeling of like safety and ease enough to um to consider giving uh yeah i just i really appreciate that reflection and it's something that comes up for me as i consider charitable giving an awful lot as a person who uh, you know, perennially came from scarcity mindset in my family and low income and remain there, right? Like that's still all of my habit pattern. And so, thank you. I only have time for one more. Yes. I really like the idea of feeling in your body like when you, that practice of remembering a time when you gave, you felt joyful. Like, what would it, and then to imagine, like, what would it take to, like, what can you do that would help you feel that way? And maybe it's offering this and maybe it's offering this. But, like, I wonder if there's a, a practice that we could cultivate, like, of, of imagining joyful giving. Like, what could I give in what places and what that might look like? Um, because what I ended up imagining made me giggle. And so it was just like, what could I, what could I do that would cultivate that feeling where I could give so freely that it just made me ridiculously happy? I, I don't remember which teacher this was. Maybe it was Thich Nhat Hanh, maybe someone else, but who had an idea for a practice for people if you felt really stingy, like I couldn't give, that you practice having something in your right hand and giving it to your left hand. <laughs> and then just like see what that feels like. Like I have this thing and now I'm giving it away. And you can notice, it's really interesting, you can notice what that brings up. And then, you know, so that's like a start to just start to 
really feel in your body like what that is. And of course, if we look at interdependence and interconnection and oneness, it's all like that. You know, if I give this to you, I'm giving it to me. I mean, it's all, you know, so then it's like, it really helps us with that context. But we start with just our own self. So that's what I'm going to I guess we have time for one more. Yeah. I just have a question. Also, what does it feel like to joyfully receive? Yes, that is part of it too. It's giver, receiver, and gift. It's like the whole thing. So that partly too, the, the scarcity mindset interferes with our ability to joyfully receive, right? Because, well, I shouldn't have to depend on other people. So, and if I do, I'll owe them something. So I'm just going to say, oh, you shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, that, how, how much does that kill the giver, you know, if you say that, instead of saying, oh, thank you. I appreciate your thinking of me in this way and giving me this way. Yeah, so then that's also lit to ourselves. We can say what it's like when we're handing it off and then this like when we're receiving. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Yeah, don't don't call up the mindset. It might be a problem, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. Can you take? Would you yeah. mind taking? Yes, I can hear you. I talk about this all encouraged to address this topic, which is not a taboo in a society and culture. Trauma in religious institutions. Mm -hmm. It's really a lot of courage. I think you're addressing the power dynamics also. Mm -hmm. um, that helps me feel more safe in addressing this. Um, in my experience of community building, I've noticed um, I, I've done a lot of like searching to try to understand how to raise uh, resources for community. And one thing I found that has been really powerful over the years is is asking the whole community: Are there ideas that people have to to raise more money that we haven't thought about yet, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of different kind of creative capacities, whether it's online or um, which is to tap into a larger kind of community mm -hmm. that wants a place like clouds to exist and to thrive. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because I know in the hearts of so many people, even if they're not here today, they're really happy to know that clouds exist. Mm -hmm. Even in just in their hearts to know that there's a sacred place where people are cultivating a very kind of sacred presence and it's benefiting the world. Um, there's limitless kind of abundance around us that can be tapped into. And yeah. I just kind of wanted to put that out there. That's great. Thank yeah. you. And I know that we have, we've just started like a development committee that's looking at, looking at exploring creative ways. But I think, you know, that there's a step of asking, you know, spreading that out to the whole community, as you said, to like build on that creativity. So yeah, thank you. Um, I, is it quick? Because we're, we're actually running into the kids' time. I know, I'm sorry. Um, I wonder if we could talk about, we always talk about money separate from our gifts, our talents, our abilities that we give to a community. And I think that sets up the, um, the negative feelings that surround this topic. And I wonder if we talk more about these things together. I don't think it takes away from the uh -huh. importance that yeah. we know 
money is needed to yeah. do the things we do. Yeah, I feel like I've often talked about them together, but sometimes we just have to talk about money too. <laughs> you know, um, but yes, that's true. That there, it's, if it were just money, that wouldn't be an alive community. The alive community is all of the different gifts that come in. So yeah, you're right. Thank you. And now we have to close. <laughs> thank you so much, Sosan. And thank you, everybody, too, for sticking with a difficult topic.